Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, and I want to wish you once again a blessed new year, meaning the new liturgical year, which began last week, September 1st. But as this liturgical year unfolds, already we have some marvelous, marvelous feast days, especially this particular week coming up in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. It's a very, very rich week and a very significant one in terms of the calendar and the beginning of the liturgical year. First of all, I'd like to say hello to a few people. I'd like to say hello to, I believe his name was Peter. I met him recently at St. Bernadette Parish in Evergreen Park, and he said he enjoys listening to Light of the East. I want to say hello to you, Peter, and thanks for giving that little pat on the back. I really appreciated that. Nice meeting you. Also, I want to thank Craig and Patricia Wagner. I want to thank them for listening and for being just such great listeners and friends here of Light of the East. As I mentioned, this week is a week rich with feast days. The very first feast day of the liturgical year, the Byzantine liturgical calendar, is the feast of the birth of the Mother of God, in other words, her nativity, which would kind of make sense if we're beginning the liturgical year. Now, the liturgical year does what? What is that? What do we mean by liturgical year? It means the cycle of the life of Christ, really, of salvation history, primarily the life of Christ, his coming into this world through the incarnation, in other words, we would call it his nativity or Christmas, and his ministry, the some of the high points of his life, such as his baptism, then his death, resurrection, ascension, and ascending of the Holy Spirit. So we were moved through the whole cycle. That's the liturgical calendar. So it would seem appropriate to begin that calendar with the birth of the Mother of God. In other words, she comes into the picture because it is through her that this whole salvation event, this Jesus Christ event, would come into our existence. The incarnation would happen through her. Now, the interesting thing about this feast, one of the many interesting things actually, is that if you notice, it is about the birth of the Mother of God. Usually in the church, we only celebrate the death or the translation of the relics of a saint. In other words, we always celebrate something having to do with the saint that either is a great miracle or has to do with their death or something that happened after their death or their, you know, their passing into, into eternal life. But it is with the mother of God, with Christ, and with St. John the Baptist only that we also include not only the days of their death and things that happen afterwards, but also of their birth. And only those three, Christ, the Virgin Mary, and John the Baptist, because their births were, of course, very, very significant, as significant as their passing into eternal life. And the reason for that is because in Christ and in the Virgin Mary, 
we see the new Adam and the new Eve. In other words, we see how and why we came into existence as a human creature to begin with, you know, when Adam and Eve were created, in other words, our beginning, the innocence, the purity of that. So it is significant because it's even in the Bible when the Bible talks about the creation of the human person, the creation of man and eventually of woman. And also their moving out of this life was also significant because, again, it points to our original destiny as Christ intended it to be. So both the origin and the destiny are significant for the human person, but they are celebrated only with those human persons who reflected how our origins and destiny were originally meant to be. In other words, how they were meant to be without sin. Now, the third person he put into that is, of course, John the Baptist, because he was so holy and so special. So his birth and his death also reflect and certainly have a lot to do with how we originally intended as a human person and how we were intended to pass on into the next life. In other words, our destiny. So our origins and our destinies are, are really different than what we know reality to be. Actually, what we consider to be reality really isn't reality. It's an unreality in that it's a reality that has been influenced, formed by sin. In other words, things like death and sickness and all that's bad in the world only came into the world because of sin. So that becomes unreality. That becomes the exception to the rule. The rule is our perfection, our holiness, our innocence, how we came in and how we were supposed to leave this earth and be with God in heaven forever, to pass gently as the mother of God did, body and soul intact, integrated, holy, virginal, and by that virginal means to be intact, to be at one, one with God, one within ourselves, to pass intact virginally into heaven in an integrated way. That was the original intention of the human person, God's original intention and destiny. And so it is in these three, Jesus, Mother of God, and St. John the Baptist, that we see that original intention by God, how we were meant to be at the beginning, how we were meant to be for all eternity. Now, I'm going to read to you some excerpts from a great article, from a great book. It's called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite by Father Basil Sheregi. He was a great scholar of the Byzantine Ruthenian Church. I had the privilege of knowing him. And he wrote this wonderful book, which takes you through the liturgical year and gives you a lot of background in a kind of a concise way of the significance of these feast days. Now, September 8th is the Nativity of the Mother of God. And so Father Basil writes, as I just said here, Ordinarily, the practice of the church is to remember the saint on the day of his death instead of on the day of his birth. The church makes two exceptions, however, for the mother of God and for St. John the Baptist, since Mary was immaculate from the first moment of her conception, and St. John was free from original sin before his birth. Now, the feast of Mary's nativity had its origins in the east, most likely in Syria or Palestine in the 5th or 6th century. I just want to stop here and mention something. We hear a lot about Syria in the news today, a lot about all the Middle Eastern countries in the news, and it's always about strife and war. But remember, these were the birthplaces of our faith, going all the way back to the Old Testament and to the New Testament. So, as Father Shedegi writes here, most likely in Syria or Palestine in the 5th or 6th century, this Feast of Mary's Nativity began to be observed. St. Roman, a deacon at the Blasianate Church near Constantinople, wrote several beautiful hymns in honor of the feast. In the 8th century, St. Andrew of Crete delivered two sermons concerning this feast. The Western Church generally began to keep the Feast of the Nativity of Mary only in the 8th century. Even then, it was not universally celebrated, though in many places it had made its appearance even earlier. For some reason, 
the spread of this feast in the West has been delayed, and it does not appear in many calendars which do contain, at the same time, the Assumption or the Domitian, the Mother of God. Now, I want to notice something else here of significance that, I, that Father Schettinger wrote. And you'll see this oftentimes in his work and the work of any scholar of the church. When it comes to these feast days, you'll generally hear that they began in the East and later on were adopted in the West. Now, there is an exception to that. Well, there's more than one exception, but the most significant exception would be Christmas, the Feast of the Nativity. Per se, as we know Christmas today, the way we celebrate today, that actually started in the West and the East picked it up a little bit later. But most feast days started in the East. Well, it's because that's where our faith began, in the East. And that's where a lot of the Christological heresies were, were hammered out. You know, the, the basic dogmas of our faith in the first several centuries, which took place in councils that were held in the East. So it would only make sense that a lot of these traditions, these observances started in the East, although not all of them, and eventually they spread to the West. Some, as you just heard from what I read, were retained, and some of them kind of died out or were de-emphasized in the West. Okay, I'll continue now with Father Schettinger's article. When glorifying the nativity of the mother of God, a pious Christian would like to know where our Lord's mother was born. One tradition maintains that she was conceived and born in the same house in which the word became flesh, that is, in Nazareth. Another tradition regards Sephorus, a little town north of Bethlehem, as the birthplace of Mary. Now, according to legend, this was a town where the parents of Our Lady, Joachim and Anna, had lived at one time. Some even hold that her nativity occurred in Bethlehem itself. But most probably, she was born in Jerusalem, in a house called by St. Sophronius of Jerusalem, Probatica, a name derived from its nearness to the pond called Probatica or Bethsaida. St. John Damascene, now he was a great Byzantine saint in the 8th century, himself asserts that Mary was born in Jerusalem. It is said that Empress Eudoxia built the church over the place of her birth, the church of St. Anne. Now, I had the privilege of visiting the Holy Lands and when I was on the tour, my wonderful Jesuit biblical scholar, Father Mikowski, he took us to a place that seemed to be where Mary lived, perhaps was born, and that was in Nazareth. And it was a very interesting little proof of that, or seemingly proof of that, because they dug down, as they always do in these archaeological sites, and they found actually an inscription carved in stone that said that this was the place of the Virgin Mary. It didn't say exactly those words, but the words that it said indicated that the house was probably very likely where the Virgin Mary was born or where she lived as a young girl and she grew up. It's interesting, these archaeological sites, they sometimes tell us a lot of things and they also leave a lot of things to mystery for us. Now, the feast itself has many, as always in the Eastern churches, has many beautiful phrases of poetry and theology. And here are just a few of them. This is the day of the Lord. Rejoice, therefore, O nations. Behold the chamber of light and the scroll of the living God, who has come forth from the womb. The gate that opens to the rising sun and is ready for the entrance of the high priest is here today. She is the only one who introduced Christ and Christ alone into the world for the salvation of our souls. We'll continue with our focus on feast days when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Praying, it's not about you. 
And now, a Sheptitsky Institute Minute with Father Peter Galadza. The Ukrainian Archbishop Andrei Sheptitsky once wrote, When we pray for our own needs or the needs of those closest to us, we are certainly doing the right thing. But who of us actually realizes how much self-love there can be in these prayers? It may be that for such prayers we deserve the criticism of Jesus Christ, and sinners and publicans do the same. For these also love their children and care about their health and temporal goods. But when in prayer we forget ourselves for at least a moment and worship God for his own sake. A moment like this can be one when God's own spirit prays within our hearts with those inexpressible sighs of which St. Paul says, the spirit himself intercedes for us. To learn about degree programs in Eastern Christian Studies, visit sheptitskyinstitute.ca. That's S-H-E-P-T-Y-T-S-K-Y institute.ca. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Mysticism, it keeps men sane. So said G.K. Chesterton, the famous thinker and writer of the 20th century. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya with an Eastern Christian moment. Christian mysticism actually means that which is most real. The mystical reveals and conceals all at the same time. It is life lived in the tension of paradox. God is three distinct persons, yet one God. He is the righteous judge and the lover of mankind. We come to know God precisely by that which we do not know about Him. Mysticism forms part of the particular genius of the Eastern Catholic churches. Our church art and architecture are designed to reveal heaven and to conceal heaven, to give us an experience of heaven meeting earth. God is both transcendent and imminent all at the same time. He is uncontainable and infinite, yet was contained within the womb of a virgin. The elaborate and solemn liturgical services of the Eastern Catholic Churches provide for the worshiper a sublime experience of what keeps us all sane, mysticism. To find out more about the Eastern Long of the Church, go to easternchristianmedia.com. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. At the beginning of the liturgical new year, according to the Byzantine calendar, in which we're looking at the first feast day, significant one of the liturgical year, and that is the Nativity of the Mother of God. There is a wonderful little booklet. For those of you who are Latin-Rite Catholics, it may be a little bit familiar to you because it's very much patterned after the little book called Magnificat, which is oftentimes found in the vestibule of Latin-Rite churches. Wonderful little book, wonderful idea that, admittedly, we Byzantines copied. We copied the concept. So we have our own little book, like that, kind of our answer to a Magnificat. It's called Theosis. And you can get Theosis by going to this website, ecpubs.com, ecpubs.com, which is short for Eastern Christian Publications. Their wonderful publication has all kind of resources on Eastern spirituality, ecpubs.com. Well, in this little booklet, Theosis, and it comes out each month, it began a year ago, in fact, in September, and I am a contributing writer to this booklet. I wrote an article last year at this time about the Nativity of Mother of God and also about feast days, and this is what I wrote. The Byzantine liturgical calendar begins very appropriately with the Feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God on September 8th. If there's any question that an Eastern Christian should never ask, it is, is this a holy day of obligation? Do we have to go to church tonight? The holy days in the church calendar are not obligations. Rather, they are presumptions and assumptions. The holy days presume the loving spousal relationship between Christ, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride, who is us. For the feast of the nativity of the mother of God, we chant prayers such as, 
You have remained a virgin before and after childbirth, O lady. Your womb has become a holy table. Like a bridegroom coming from his chamber, Christ the Son has come forth from you. The holy days, in turn, just assume that our knowing in living this spousal relationship with so loving a mystical spouse as God himself compels us to actually look forward to carefree timelessness with our beloved in the intimate communion of the divine liturgy. After all, this is what lovers do. Lovers do not ask the question, what is the minimum that I have to do for you? What is my obligation to you? They do not look for the least that they can do for each other, the least amount of time together. When we go to church for a holy day, we're not just going to church to satisfy an obligation. What happens through the customs and liturgical texts of a feast day in the church is that we're not only drawn into relationship with our mystical spouse, but we are also immersed into the particular mystery of that feast. We immerse ourselves in the feast to be infused with its relevant mystery. And then we go from the liturgy, having been energized and enlightened by this mystery, so that our lives can be transformed, and through us, the world. This is why it is so essential for parishes to offer as much of the divine office as possible for feast days such as Vespers and Matins and the full text of the liturgy for that day. But it is also even possible to immerse ourselves in the liturgical text through Byzantine daily offices. And you can get those by Byzantine daily office email and Byzantine daily office audio offered by Eastern Christian Publications in a convenient electronic form. And again, you can go to ecpubs.com for that. So you can actually get the Byzantine office online. You can download it. Or you can get it in this wonderful little booklet called Theosis. The Feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God also immerses us into realities such as God's original plan for us and what our ultimate destiny will be. From this, we actually receive a vision of what it truly means to be human. A vision of which the modern secular world remains so much in need, yet so ignorant. The rhythm of the church's observance of feast days, such as the Nativity of the Mother of God, also teaches the world something about life and being human. Life works best in a type of fundamental rhythm of rising action, climatic moment, and resolution. For the feast days, this is translated as the pre-festive, festive, and post-festive times of the feast. Far from being just an obligation, the holy days of the church immerse us in the mystery of what is most authentically holy, human, and true. That was the article that I wrote a year ago in Theosis, which featured the Feast of the Nativity of Mother of God. But there's other wonderful articles in there by other very noted authors and theologians of the Eastern churches. So again, I highly recommend that you acquire this booklet. It's very easy. It comes out once a month, very manageable, has prayers in it, beautifully done, wonderful full-color pages of icons, and it has articles in there, such as from myself. Now, The other aspect of this week that is very, very exciting, see, I get excited about this kind of stuff, not just because I'm a priest, but because it's, I don't know, when you live it somehow your whole life, especially as a priest, it does become exciting to you. One of the first things I do when I wake up in the morning is I go to my divine office, I open it up, and I see who's my little buddy for that day. In other words, who's who's the saint of that day? He's going to be my little buddy. I'm going to talk to him, pray to him, listen to him. He's going to walk around with me. I'm going to think about him and think about his life. I read a little extra in his life. And it's really quite exciting. It's really kind of fun. It's almost like a 
waking up like a child on Christmas every day. It's like, gee, gee, what did God bring us today? Who did God bring us today? You see, church, church is fun. It really is. The liturgy is fun. Life is fun. Life is liturgy. Liturgy is life, and it's all fun when you really approach it the right way. So this week is very exciting because it has the Nativity of Mother of God, as we've talked about. It also has, therefore, the next day, the feast of the Virgin Mary's parents, Joachim and Anna. We call this the Synaxis. Synaxis means like the coming together. I kind of tongue-in-cheek call it taking a bow. It's like the characters in the play take a bow. You've got the Virgin Mary, the star of the show, and we observe her. Then her mother and father were sort of a took a supporting role in the great drama. And so they take a bow the next day. And that's very characteristic of the Byzantine calendar. We have a major feast day. We have the major person of that feast day. And then we have the sort of the supporting cast that we celebrate the next day. Now, later on this week, we have the dedication of the Church of the Resurrection, which Latin Rite Christians would know as the Church of the Crucifixion, which is in Jerusalem. It's interesting how it's known by two different names. It's very, very illustrative of the differences between the Eastern and Western spirituality. One emphasizes the cross, the other one the resurrection. Now notice I says emphasize. Neither one excludes the other. It's just a matter of emphasis. And that really is the main difference between East and West, the two lungs of the church. People often ask me, well, what is the difference between a Byzantine church and a Roman Catholic church? Well, the difference between East and West are largely a matter of emphasis, of perspective, of what direction, what starting point you come from to arrive at the same point. Then finally, this week ends with Saturday with the exaltation of the cross, huge feast day. For East and West, certainly in the East, we have a very elaborate ceremony of the elevation of the cross. And also, not only is today the Nativity of the Mother of God, but it's also what we call the Sunday before the exaltation. So it has a kind of a multi-leveled meaning today. Multi-level meaning three levels at least, because on Sunday we always, of course, acknowledge and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we've got the resurrection today, the Nativity of the Mother of God, and the Sunday before the exaltation. Now, it's significant that we celebrate the Sunday before, because that brings us back to that rhythm of life I talked about in my article that I just read. One of the neat things about the feast days and why we have to get involved with them is that it's kind of like climbing on board something, and it kind of takes us on a journey, on a rhythm. It takes us on a journey of the rhythm of life because feast days have a buildup to them, sometimes a whole week in advance, a climactic point, and then a kind of a slow falling action or kind of a coming out of that feast. See, we just don't jump into something and then go jump out of it cold turkey. That's a big mistake that our culture makes. And it's very rough on us psychologically. And we see that and experience that regrettably. You think we'd wise up finally, but it happens every year. In fact, it's coming up. We do that every year to Christmas. In fact, in just a few weeks, I know some radio stations are going to start playing Christmas carols. And they're only going to play Christmas carols until the way till Christmas Day. Then the next day after Christmas, you won't hear a single thing about Christmas. We'll just fall off a cliff. So you see there's this massive buildup, a tiny, tiny climactic moment, and a falling off a cliff. Or you have no buildup, you jump right into it, and you jump right out of it. This is what we do in our culture. And unfortunately, it bleeds into how we celebrate many of the great events in the life of Christ. But the church, when you really live the life of the church, she takes us on a journey of what is a true and natural rhythm of life through her feast days. Build up, climactic moment, and what I call a resolution or kind of a falling action, a kind of coming out of it. So this is why feast day is one of the many reasons why 
as we begin this new liturgical year. One of the many reasons we should all make a new and renewed commitment, like a New Year's resolution, since it is a New Year's liturgically, a New Year's resolution to really immerse ourselves and embrace seriously this year the liturgical life, the feast days of the church. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>